Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode one of the PQI podcast. On today's episode, we talk to the pharmacy team at Florida Cancer Specialists. We talk about how they built their pharmacy from the ground up and its growth, including some funny stories along the way. They also discuss the value in medically integrated dispensing, patient-centered care, and ENCODA positive quality interventions. You can find the podcast on Spotify and Apple, and you can also find us on Instagram by searching at the PQI podcast. The PQI podcast is brought to you by ENCODA Inc. Thank you all so much for joining us today. And will you each give a brief introduction of yourself? And then will one of you tell us about your practice, the basics, and then your pharmacy as well? We'll start with Ray. Okay. My name is Ray Bailey. I'm vice president of pharmacy for Florida Cancer Specialist. Uh, have been managing our medically integrated uh, specialty oncology pharmacy for 12 years now. We started in January 2008. Um, I am now over all of pharmacy operations for the practice, including the pharmacy operations IV side of the business. Thank you. And Natasha? My name is Natasha Kristelibova. I'm Associate Director of Pharmacy Clinical Services with Rx2 Go Pharmacy. I oversee all clinical programs here, and uh, I started with Rx2 Go in 2011. And then Kathy. Hi, my name is Kathy Hogan, and I'm Director of Pharmacy for Rx2 Go. And I, I came in right after Ray Bailey did. I've been here just close to a little over 12 years. And I oversee day-to-day, -day, which is overseeing both, you know, dispensing operations, clinical, and compliance. Okay, thank you. And then what about your practice? Just, I know you're a huge practice in Florida. Will you kind of give us just a few basics on that? Florida Cancer Specialist. Um, we have a little over 240 physicians. We have over 400 mid-levels. And we currently have 100 clinical sites. Yeah, I have to, um, Ginger, I actually have exact numbers because I got that from HR. Okay. So, oh, well, good. You should yeah. be doing this then. <laughs> so I'll give you, maybe Kathy can do that. So we have about 250 uh, hematologists, oncologists, and we have about 230 mid levels. Okay and uh, many nurses and almost 100 clinics in, in the state of Florida. So that is a huge operation. Um, so I have known all of you for quite a while. Um, I've even, you were so kind to let me visit down there a couple of times back when I was in practice. And I've, I've watched your organization grow and your operation in the pharmacy. But I know you all have built it from the ground up. So will you kind of tell us about the early days and how you got started and then just the building over time? Um, and I know in talking to all of you, you've had funny stories along the way, but if you have anything like that to share with our audience too. I guess I can start. Um, you know, I was not the first pharmacist. The pharmacist started in the summer of 2007. Um, actually getting the, the physical plant set up, all the contracting, everything that had to be in place. We worked with Smart ID, ID Works from what I understand. Uh, and then 
they took their first patient, filled their first script in January 2008. Uh, they went through two pharmacists that first year, uh, and then and then asked me uh, if uh, Dr. Harwin asked me if I would come and, and help him with the pharmacy. So I came that fall, I think September 1st, uh, as the pharmacy manager. Uh, but we were we started in a, a, a closet, really. I mean, one room. Um, and I think at that time there were seven drugs. Um, wow. And so, you know, to where we're at today, where we have 90 to 100 drugs on our formulary, oral oncolytics on our formulary now. So that's, you know, quite a, uh, quite a bit of growth. Um, but we, we actually kind of morphed through our corporate office building as we grew. You know, we knocked down walls and went and uh, morphed in and around the building, expanding our pharmacy operations, getting more uh, offices and cubicles for staff as we added on. So, um, yeah, it was humble beginnings, but now we're in a 20, I think 25,000 square foot brand new pharmacy. So. And I, I, I've seen their conveyor belts. Are those, are those still there and all kinds of fancy, fancy tools? Yeah, I mean, we, we invested in technology along the way, which was great. And, you know, we got to that point where, where the script volume was very hard to handle with baskets, Kathy, and, mm-hmm. and talk to you about that. It's really was, was crazy, you know, so we, um, so we had to, to, to leverage technology and, and, we went to the conveyor system and it really improved our efficiency. I think that first day that we started the conveyor line, everybody was done at, at noon, right? And so we were filling in, in noon what it was taking us all day to fill so with stacking baskets. So Amazing. it really, there really was an ROI on it and, and it was a great investment for us. Yes. And ladies, do you have any, anything to share? You know, I'm having flashbacks. So when I first started with Ray, we didn't even work on the same day. We had like what I called an interval ownership desk. We shared a desk. And we were there on different days. And I just remember, I remember one time Ray left me this article. He's like, read this article. It'll blow your mind. This little sticky note on there. And, um, you know, it really kind of blew my mind uh, the the way to... Um, oncology had moved at that time, even from 2009 onwards. You know, I'd worked in a hospital and uh, it, it you just didn't have a lot of positive outcomes. And with targeted therapy, there was just so much hope available to the patients, so much more controlled side effects, just so much opportunity in providing, you know, really good care for patients um, and looking forward to the future, to all the possibilities. And so I just remember being so excited and so, you know, a lot of times people look at us and think, well, you've been able to build this big, big practice, you know, or a pharmacy because you have, you know, Florida cancer behind you. But, you know, in the beginning, it was really only four or five people. And it really was your mindset in being focused on the patient. And um, how, do, how can we better care for our patients, not just clinically, but, you know, support them financially, support them with their stress levels. And then you know, how our, our mindset even shifted more to the clinics. How can we support our physicians better? How can we, you know, support our nursing staff? How can we take the burden off the clinics? And so 
with race vision and Dr. Harwin's support, you know, we really started, we were an integrated pharmacy before it was even a term, I think. And uh, we very early on, I mean, there was, I want to say a handful of people. We started doing prior authorizations on behalf. We started doing REMS authorization numbers. We, we started all kind of little initiatives that really we've been able to build out and, you know, build up on. I mean, it, now in, in, in addition to prior authorizations, um, you know, we've centralized that with all the oral uh, prior authorizations, but we've been able to build out, you know, appeals on behalf of the patients and uh, has really, you know, always been a support of our patients, but always funneling, you know, support back into the clinics. And so it's been really an exciting journey and, you know, my whole thing is when I meet people at conferences, I'm always encouraging them that it really is your vision that, you know, directs you and how your business is being built out and how successful it is and just always keeping the patient first. I love all of that. And I know, and Natasha may be able to speak to some of this too, because she's really played the role clinically, but I know that you all have really worked on building a relationship with your physicians too over the years. So how, how did you go about doing that and gaining their trust? And then also, I mean, gaining their vision or getting them to see your vision um, that medically integrated dispensing really is uh, the best scenario for the patient and the practice. Thanks, Ginger. Uh, let me just start with a funny story because I think what we're leaving mm -hmm. out is an uh, uh, interesting fact, how Ray Bailey was hired. Uh, he was semi-retired and Dr. Harwin asked him to come and look at the pharmacy, see if he can help out. So he walks in his shorts and t-shirt and flip-flops and sits down and he gets hired. And uh, that was uh, how it's all That was began. my interview, true story. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's how, how it all began. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's still very re relaxed, very laid back, but he does a, a job of 10 people. So he mm -hmm. built this amazing pharmacy. Um, another funny story, you can leave this out, it's up to you, but the first Christmas tree in that pharmacy was a Christmas tree decorated with uh, empty Revlimid bottles. <laughs> and uh, we had like 10 people working in the pharmacy, this little tree in the middle with the Revlimid bottles, and uh, we were so happy. So, um, I need to make how, it <laughs> so how do we gain trust with our physicians? Um, when I started working there, it's kind of was obvious that oncology, it's obvious to everybody, oncology is a specialty field. You really need to understand oncology. You need to understand this patient's category, uh, disease, there's drugs coming on the market, this targeted therapy. Because if you don't know what you're doing, the doctor's not going to really respect your opinion. And uh, so this is how it's all started. So Ray basically told us, you know, one of you needs, needs to get the pickup <laughs> certification. So we said, okay, Ray, whatever you say. So, and that happened. So um, we also developed adherence program in 2013 because we quickly realized that these drugs have uh, serious side effects and uh, keeping patients on therapy, we have to help them manage these side effects. So in December 2013, we kind of officially uh, said to ourselves, okay, now we have an adherence program. So let's develop the programs around that. Let's help um, learn um, how to manage the side effects. And let's teach our physicians and clinics how to manage the side effects on oral drugs. 
So uh, we've been very successful. And I think what else, Kathy mentioned this before, customer service, we're really focusing on customer service. All three of us came from a specialty pharmacy home infusion. And this, that was like the topic of the day. Let's give 100% to our patients. So we brought this with us and we kind of implemented that. And that was the best model that, you know, and I think a lot of pharmacies following this, this model. Yeah. I think that's, a, that's a, a critical point, Ginger, mm -hmm. in that I remember the first days I was there. If you look at, at, at the pharmacy was not, was not successful and was actually failing. And, and they had very poor script capture. And, and that was basically because the mindset of the folks that were there at the time that, you know, we're a part of the practice, so they have to send all the scripts to us. And I told them day one, I said, they don't have to send all the scripts to you. If you, if you can't take care of their patients and deliver, then they're gonna go elsewhere, whether that you're a part of the practice or not. So it was a culture shift um, and we really concentrated on script capture and earning uh, that trust from, from our prescribers and our clinics that we could deliver and we could actually deliver uh, faster and, and, and a better clinical product as well. That is so important. I know at our team meetings, we always go over and review who are our customers and it's not just the patients. The patients are first and foremost our customers, but you know, there's always a group several groups who are your customers, the physicians, the nurses, um, the financial assistants, each other. So I think that's mm -hmm. just vital to success. Mm -hmm. um, so in building your clinical program, Natasha, how does that look? So who is building out all of those modules and will you just give us an overview of your system there? When the drug comes on the market, we review the side effects, uh, focusing on grades three and four, and then we develop the protocols around how we're going to manage the side effects. So um, we call those protocols a patient management protocol, and uh, ANCODA uh, have a different name, positive quality interventions uh, protocols, which we yeah. adopt in our system. And they're very similar. It's basically how to manage a patient on treatment how to keep them adherent, how to help practices, pharmacists and nurses to understand how to manage the side effects and how to achieve the good persistency on the drug. So, um, and that's because these drugs uh, that we uh, face uh, that come to us, these oral drugs have, um, they don't have a clean profile. And uh, some of the side effects uh, on target or off target are severe which I mentioned before, diarrhea, skin reactions, and so on. So um, we also reach out to the nurse educators or MSLs with pharma companies. And I'm not sure if every practice can do that, but we're allowed to. And Ginger, maybe you have that experience, but the pharma companies can really, they have developed resources. So we utilize those resources. Um, the nurse educators will provide a, a specific education on how to manage side effects. So when we, we implement some kind of like a SOP or um, follow-up, weekly follow-up, or maybe every two weeks follow-up, and our pharmacists will make a phone call, making sure that they utilize the supportive care and do it properly, not just uh, once a day, but if it's a, should be a, like a modium, um, up to eight doses. You know how many patients don't do that? It's amazing. 
So if you don't make that phone call and make sure that they utilize that Imodium as you suggested to them a week ago, that really is important because otherwise they're just going to develop the side effect. So that's why I think that Encoda's PQIs um, need to continue, flourish, develop, and um, because these are done by experienced oncology pharmacists that actually uh, see these patients and they share this experience with everybody. And so I completely support that. So you've, you've answered one of my questions for each of you. And, and you know, the PQI is that resource written by pharmacists to really give quality standards and to make sure that we are hitting all of the points when we are starting a patient on therapy and following up with them. So Natasha gave me what she thought is the value, but Ray or Kathy, um, do you have, what value do you see in the positive quality interventions? I, I think, um, you know, we, we have our, uh, we have a platform that, that we've talked about before. It's called Orca. It's proprietary platform that we build our care plans into. So we, we in essence, built the PQ, PQIs into the individual care plans. So we use them as a reference when we're building or adapting our care plans because we learn from PQIs as well. And then we can adapt our care plans kind of on the fly or as the drug evolves and, and we see how our patients uh, are, do on the, the drugs post-launch post-clinical trial, you know, then we will adapt our care plans, but they're, they're very valuable. I mean, our pharmacy and, and the size of our pharmacy and the number of patients we have, we have to leverage technology. We can't just pull out a sheet and talk through a sheet each time. It's got to be structured uh, digitally, electronically in a, in a platform with work queues where we can work through. So it's just the, the technology layer, but the content is the same. And so PQIs are very valuable to us in that, in, in that regard. Thank you. And then Kathy, um, if, if you want to talk about the PQI, but I also want to ask you um, about staff. How do you get your staff to buy into what you're doing and um, really to put the patients first and to have good customer service skills? Because I know you three all b believe in it with your heart. Um, but how do you really get others, encourage them with that energy as well? Okay. Well, I just want to first say, yes, the PQIs, I agree with Nat and, and Ray. They're extremely valuable um, to us as a resource and uh, we really appreciate them. Um, as far as staff, you know, it's interesting you would say that. We um, are right now in the middle of a huge, um, you know, what we call customer experience training. Okay. And so we realized early on that it really is, you know, a, you know, a culture setting that we have all had, like we've said, and we, we tend to hire people like-minded, but as we've grown, we realize we have people from all different backgrounds and maybe the company they worked before doesn't have the same vision or the same value system that we do. And that's a very valid question. How do we shift that culture? And so, um, I'm very, very fortunate that we have incredible people in leadership and we are very tight and very committed um, to taking care of our patients and their caregivers and physicians and payers, whoever you focus on as your customer. But we also realize that things change. You have turnover, you have um, 
you know, additional duties, whatever, there's, there's always something going on in the pharmacy workflows, so on and so forth. So you're always going to have to resort to just consistent training, um, touch points. We have, um, you know, overall, like, I, I don't want to say like a campaign, but like right now we have, at certain times of the year, we have a huge push of a whole session. So for example, right now we're having uh, customer experience communication. The first part of the presentation at the beginning of this month will be um, verbal communication. Okay. And then at the end of the month, it'll be written communication because it's really, really important. Even with technology, you know, you, you want to make sure your staff feels connected to each other, especially during COVID, but connected to each other so that they can connect to the patients and connect to the clinics. And that 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 overall feeling of um, community is is built in here, and so it's an ongoing um, production in answer to your question. But it's also so exciting because I just um, we actually record some of our trainings, and I just redid one of our first ones called Customer Experience Basics, and I get so excited because um, just seeing our growth as a team. Um, and hearing positive feedback. We do a lot of coaching. We're actually instituting a mentoring program wow. for leadership and stuff. I mean, it's gradual, it takes time, but oh my goodness, it's so worth the investment um, in our people because um, you know it, it pays off in the long run. It is an investment in time and resources, but it's so critical to remain in that that you know mindset of the patient is the most important without getting you know um, sucked into the day-to-day -day, you know um, demands of a huge corporation so we want to keep that that feeling that you know grassroots type of feel if that makes any sense it does absolutely I love it um, so at the end I'll have one more fun question for each of you um, but just kind of to close, will you tell us just overall, and we've talked about it throughout, what you really feel is the biggest benefit of medically integrated dispensing and what our audience and everyone who's involved can continue to do to really keep it going in the future and to continue to allow practices to be able to dispense? I think the, the, the biggest benefit is to the patient um, and in that I mean that the patient gets better care and better outcomes. So, I mean, to me, if you're thinking about the patient, bottom line, we can talk about all the things we do to deliver that. But at the end of the day, this model with us having access to the EMR, being close to our, um, you know, our colleagues in the clinics, we can deliver the best care and and, and the best outcomes for the patient on their individual therapies. And it's so critical anymore because if you look at what's happened just in the last several years, it's not a one oral drug therapy, yes. you know, it's combination therapies now. So there's so much more to it where you've got to coordinate uh, and, and make sure that the drug gets there on time when the infusional therapy is actually being started. And then you've got side effects from IV drugs and oral drugs together that you've got to have pharmacists in the oral pharmacy understanding all of that and managing that as they're talking to the patient. 
So it's becoming much more complex. And I, it, to me, I, I just don't see how any outside, especially pharmacy, uh, can compete and deliver what we can uh, inside our practice. Yes, for sure. Thank you. Do either one of you have anything else on that one? Yeah, I can definitely um, add to what Ray just says. So, of course, you know, we're very close uh, with our physicians. We just phone call away, um, email away, and uh, EMR, having access to EMR is crucial. We're all clinicians. We really need to have an entire picture of the patient that we treat. And th that's the only way we can uh, get that picture if we have access to EMR. There are notes and notes, there are demographics, there are medications list, there are changes that happen with in, during patient's treatment. This is all in front of us. How can any PBM pharmacy or this large uh, box pharmacies can even do that? So um, that's one point. And uh, having, we, we're a really big family. You know, we have a relationship as a family. We respect each other. We treat each other as a customer. Um, and that, I think it's really contributes to a better care for the patient. But I cannot really add anything better than what Ray just said, you know? So just scratch that. He's, he covered that really well. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. It's, you know, there's just hands down no comparison. It's a continuation of therapy. It's not like it's a fractured system. You know, we're all one, like Natasha said, we're all one family and we're there to support the patient. But also as far as, you know, uh, looking outward for community oncology as a whole, you know, just networking with other um, practices and being aware, keeping a pulse on legislature and laws being passed and being aware of what's going on around us and be willing to speak up, you know, and take part and uh, in helping all of us navigate the changing landscape, so. Yes. And I think you all do a fabulous job at that. You are always, I know, willing to participate and willing to help other practices. So you've been great today and I really appreciate the time and it's been great to have all three of you. And as one final question, I'm gonna ask each of you. So if the world were open again, and hopefully it will be very, very soon, and you could travel anywhere you wanted, where would it be? And you can tell us why too. If if you want. So we'll start with Kathy. She looks oh my like goodness. I was just talking to my niece yesterday about this. I just want to go to Italy and sit in a piazza, but I have to have no mask on. I'm sorry. So it'll be in a few years, right? And just have a cappuccino early in the morning. Just hear people speak in Italian around me and looking at a beautiful statue maybe nearby, hearing a fountain. Yeah, I'm in Italy. Sounds lovely. How about Natasha? Well, Kathy, I'm going to Italy, but I'm going to be zooming on e-bike, so I may pass by your coffee shop wherever you're sitting and enjoying, and hopefully no mask for sure. Yeah, I love it. And then Ray, besides the Florida Keys, where would you like to go? Well, I actually went, and I just got back this afternoon, so I the thing I wanted to do was go to the Final Four, something I've been to for 29 straight years and wow. they didn't have it last year and they had it this year although it's social distance only 15,000 people my friend went up there and said Ray you have to come so you know I've got my second shot 
and I jumped on a plane. I went to Indianapolis and I just experienced the final four and it was absolutely amazing. And I have to tell you, it's so surreal to get on a plane after 14 months, 13, 14 months since the last time I was on a plane and fly to another city and get off the plane and go outside and look at a different landscape. <laughs> Even in this case, it was like stick trees of Indianapolis, you know, not palm trees of the Florida Keys. But it, to me, it was so beautiful just to go someplace different, go to a big city, go to a hotel, actually see people, you know. So I, I think once we get everybody vaccinated, we'll, we're going to get back out there and see each other at our meetings. And I'm optimistic and excited about that. I hope so. I feel like you just gave the rest of us hope that there there is life coming very soon. But I think it's amazing that your first flight after all of this was to see the final four. So did, yep. did your team win? I don't ever have a team usually. I just go because I love basketball and I just want the best team to win. And we had great games. And, you know, if you're a basketball buff, then you saw that that, that Baylor beat Gonzaga last night in a great national championship game. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ray, Kathy, and Natasha with Florida Cancer Specialists. To download this podcast, you can search the PQI podcast on Spotify and Apple, and remember to subscribe. You can also listen on our website at encoda.org. That's N-C-O-D-A dot org. Follow us on Instagram at the PQI podcast for the latest episode updates and information you won't want to miss. We would also like to thank Encoda for making this podcast possible, and we hope you join us next week for another edition of the PQI podcast. Thanks, everybody.